Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are continually getting messier and messier in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to continue to say thanks to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way toward our goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com slash themessyreformation. You can also support us for free by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the Messy Reformation. Also, let them know about our newest announcement, the Hall of Tyrannus. We're really excited about this new opportunity to disciple reformers for the CRCNA. If you'd like more information on this, head on over to themessyreformation.com and look for the Hall of Tyrannus. With all of that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of Willie and I's conversation about current issues in the Christian Reformed Church. Everyone wants to know, what's the best food we eat on Thanksgiving? Well, it depends which we. (laughs) Ooh. So, uh, I I am a, a traditional Thanksgiving boy. Uh, we, we eat Turkey. Typically we eat mashed potatoes, but we had cheesy potatoes this time, uh, stuffing and green bean casserole. Uh, so I'm a Turkey guy. I I'm just a basic meat and potatoes guy. And so if that's the, we that I'm going to address, then yeah, it's going to be the Turkey. How about you? Yeah, I I'm, uh, I've, so I, we've really upped our Turkey game the last few years and I've gotten into, uh, smoking different meat and so we've been smoking our turkey the last few years and this year probably i've had the best turkey i mean i'm tooting my own horn here but literally it's the best turkey i have ever eaten in my life and uh and i heard that from a lot of our guests as well so it was it was phenomenal so by far i i heard somebody say this past week on twitter that there's a reason why we only eat turkey once a year because it's terrible and I was like, no, you just are eating it wrong if you think turkey is terrible. It's amazing. That's right. But then, you know, for me, second best, well, it's a tie. You know, second best part of Thanksgiving meal is either stuffing or gravy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the one time a year I actually get gravy. So mm-hmm. so I think, you know, I, I am one of those guys who, you know, gravy just kind of goes all over on on Thanksgiving. <laughs> nothing wrong with that at all i since we did cheesy potatoes this year we didn't actually do gravy but when the turkey came out that was the first thing i was looking for i'm like where's yeah. the gravy i always put gravy on my turkey and then i'm like right we didn't do that this year yeah gravy and cheesy potatoes they just don't quite go together 
I still would have eaten it, but you know me. <laughs> yeah, you would have. Yeah, no, I thought this last uh, Thanksgiving day was really, uh, really good for us. Uh, we I got to do two Thanksgivings this year. We gathered together the weekend before Thanksgiving with my family, and then we had some friends over, and Rachel's brother came over on Thanksgiving day. But uh, both of those were just, again, reminders of God's blessings that have been poured mm-hmm. out on our family. You know, last year, the Thanksgiving service was the first service back from all of my COVID stuff. And so I've been reflecting on the, all of the just blessing that God has done in my life, the healing that he's done, how he's kind of protected us and watched over our family. And then, you know, everything that happened with my mom back in, in August mm-hmm. of this year again. So I don't know. I felt like there was just an extra level of joy in our family as we gathered around the table and ate food and drank some good wine. And my brother brought mead, which I had never had before, but that's really good. And so we drank some mead and we just talked and and reflected on God's blessings on our life. And it was really good. Both, uh, both of those gatherings. Did, uh, did your church, Jason, do a, a Thanksgiving day service? So we always do Thanksgiving Eve, which I don't know if that's normal or not, but that's what this congregation has done, Thanksgiving Eve, which is kind of nice because then it allows, kind of frees up Thanksgiving Day for preparing all of the food and stuff for Thanksgiving lunch. And so, yeah, we do a Thanksgiving Eve service. It's mainly a singing, scripture reading. Uh, We do a time of sharing thanks and then um, then I always preach as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had a Thanksgiving Day service, um, and I think uh, my pa- pastor Michael was was tracing it back, and this may have been the actual first Thanksgiving Day service that Pease has done in like fifteen plus years. Wow! Uh, so it was pretty huge, yeah. um, and I mean, it it wasn't the most well attended service, but um, you know, for people who were in the area, they made it a priority to come and. Um, I was involved with music ministry, which was, it's pretty typical. And it was just a really good time because they, they, again, they offered a time for people to, to say and voice what they were thankful for. And uh, the one that uh, actually got repeated a couple of times was, you know, thankfulness for their church family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, that speaks volumes. Um, Cause I think about how, you know, this church has banded together um, you know, for somebody who's in need, um, or say somebody had a benefit, or for my own personal context, you know, when when I had COVID, um, and even leading up to my wedding, my church was very supportive of um, me and taking care of, you know, how we were needed. And, you know, if there were any specific things that were required there, they would step in. So, yeah, that was a wonderful time. And that began our day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was celebration at my parents' house, Followed up by a wonderful Vikings game, might I add. Amen on the Vikings game. We won't talk about Sunday's Vikings game last week. We we're just ignoring that one. But Thursday was beautiful and and glorious. It really was. Did you know about the turducken? By the way, I have very strongly considered making my own turducken, and then I thought about that's a lot of work, and so I skip it. Looks like a ton of work. And I'm not even sure. I mean, a bunch of people said, oh, it smells so good. I don't know how good that would actually taste, though. I'm not sure because duck is not great. <laughs> no, duck isn't great. But hey, they got to they got to have it. Kirk Cousins actually got to have it for the second time in his career. That's right. 
My favorite part of the whole thing was Adam Thielen having to spit it out <laughs> on the field. And then, and then on Thanksgiving day, his, uh, his wife posted on Twitter, a video of him eating Turkey. And she's like, is it dry? <laughs> They're all mocking him. It was, it was so, it was so good. I, I love being able, people being able to just make fun of themselves and laugh at themselves. And, um, uh, you know, but, uh, that's one of the things Rachel and I have talked about. I don't know how many people have, uh, on this podcast or who listen have read, uh, notes from a tilt a whirl by ND Wilson. Mm. Um, I, I really highly encourage it. It's, it's his, it was his first kind of venture into nonfiction. Um, but it's really good. But anyways, there's, there's a point in the book where he talks about, um, learning to laugh at yourself. And, and he talks about the moment of, I can't remember somebody watching someone. Well, maybe it was himself. He, like he was doing something on his bike and he crashed it really hard. And a whole bunch of people, he did it in front of a whole bunch of people. And he, he, he said to himself, at least I gave them a bunch of joy in being able to watch me <laughs> make a lot of myself. And that's kind of been uh, uh, something we've said in our family quite a bit. When you're like walking down the road and you hit a patch of ice, you just biff it hard and a whole bunch of people watch you. You can get up, you'd be like, I just provided people a lot of joy today. <laughs> <laughs> and being able to laugh at that. So I, I, I thought that was great. Uh, Thielen being able to kind of laugh at kind of, what could have been super embarrassing for him having to spit out a big mouthful of turkey over the field, but it was good. Let's call that a, a healthy theology of ridicule. That's right. Yeah. Well, not taking ourselves too seriously, right? That's Actually, right. to get like, I suppose we can get kind of theological on this because I, I talk to people about this all the time that this is actually like an outflowing of the gospel really mm -hmm. is to right. not take yourself seriously. When, if, if, it, if you, once you realize you're forgiven and you know, and, and it's not up to you to earn your salvation, it's not up to you to make a name for yourself. You're really freed to just be a, a fool for Christ really. And um, you don't have to take yourself so seriously. Um, but if you think you, it's all up to you to earn it, and it's up for you to make a name for yourself and it's up to you. Then you take yourself so seriously that you actually end up, you, you can't actually have joy in the world because everything is, is this failure that ultimately leads to destruction. And so it is really a, a outflowing of the gospel to not take ourselves seriously. I think it's a really good point and it's very nail on head. Um, you know, we, we want to take so much credit and effort for things uh, I mean, that's kind of what the theology of our natural heart is, is Pelagianism, uh, yeah. works righteousness. And when we realize that the gospel is objectively the person and work of Jesus Christ and what he has finished and accomplished on behalf of sinners uh, and not, not of works, this is not of yourself, lest no man should boast, uh, then you're right. We, we do have all the licensure in the world to, to kind of take a step back and go, this isn't because of me. Uh, and it's yeah. not because of what I've done, but for what, but by, by what has been done for me. Yeah. Well, and we just have this natural tendency, I think, to uh, make our, to think we're a bigger deal than we are. That's right. Um, And to think that, yeah. And uh, I always laugh. Um, I, I'm reminded of this quite often. First Corinthians one, uh, you know, this has been kind of my passage from the beginning of my ministry you know, Paul looks at the Corinthians and says, who are you when you were called? Not many of you were wise. Mm -hmm. 
Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were influential. Uh, but God calls the weak to shame the strong. He calls the foolish to, to, to shame the wise. He calls the unpowerful to shame the powerful. And uh, you know, he goes on and says he does all of this so that he would receive the glory and not you. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of deep underneath that passage is this reminder of like, why did God call you? Because you were most likely weak and foolish and not very powerful. <laughs> so get over yourself. You're you're not that big of a deal. Um, so you just like do what God, you know, I, I tell I tell our church this, I tell teenagers this all the time. Like, do what God tells you to do, go where God tells you to go, say what God tells you to say. Um, that's what success is. And uh, and then you trust God to do the rest and that God will get the glory through that and not you. Yeah, that's right. Because if left to us, our own work and our own devices, there's a good chance that we're very good candidates to screw it up. Yeah. <laughs> so th- thanks be to God. I'm trusting in one who's provided that on my behalf, who did not screw up. Amen. And uh, we'll just, we'll tie all of this together really neatly with, uh, with the Vikings. Um, because uh, <laughs> one of the, one of the things that uh, I have, I've had this ongoing conversation with my brother about Kirk Cousins, right? So I'm I'm a I'm a Kirk Cousins fan, and my brother is not a Kirk Cousins fan. He's like he's just a prime time choker. He chokes every time he gets on prime time, except not for this year. Giving, but uh, <laughs> um, um, and so we were talking about that, and his argument was like Kirk fails on prime time because he tries too hard. So this is my brother's argument. He gets out on he tries too hard to make a big deal, you know, and uh, and I thought. I don't know if that's accurate of Kirk, but, but the same thing happens just in life in general. Like if you go out and you're trying too hard to make a name for yourself, or you're trying too hard to, um, to earn your salvation or whatever, like you really do end up failing in it. But if you can walk in this freedom in Christ, um, then you can, you can truly live out, live out the faith because you're not having to try so hard. You're able to live in uh, resting in Jesus Christ each and every day. And, and that changes everything about, about how we live and allows you not to take yourself seriously, allows God to receive the glory through your life and allows you just to follow him wherever he's going to lead you. Amen. Now, how do you feel? You've publicly gone on the podcast and said you're a Kirk Cousins fan. <laughs> I am. No, That's I, right. I, well, I mean, and the, this is kind of a good year to be a fan for him. Uh it just is. Our record is pretty good, but also our new coach, I think, is also very solid and uh, not calling ridiculous plays like third and long and throw for five and punt. Uh, yeah, I think we're we're seeing a lot less of that. than. yeah, yeah well, and I I'm, think I'm, some I'm, of it's Kirk. So I, I've heard a lot of people talk about him like just becoming he's he's taking some more risks, trying to be more of a playmaker. That's and, right. That's right. Uh, and that's a that's a big deal. I want to go back to something that we talked about earlier because it's been on my mind uh, quite a bit lately. Because um, you had mentioned that at your Thanksgiving service, a whole bunch, a lot of people talked about how thankful they were for their church family mm-hmm. and uh, and just the community there. And uh, and that's that was a very common, strong theme in our congregation as well. A lot of people saying, man, I don't know how I would have made it through this last year without our church family coming around us, supporting us, caring for us. And so mm-hmm. a lot of people were really thankful for that. And um, that kind of leads me into a conversation I've been having with a number of pastors lately that um, 
I think that's going to matter more and more as we look to the future of just our culture and and where we're going. And so I think, um, oh boy, I don't remember if I've mentioned this on the podcast or not. Maybe it's one that's coming out in the future here. But um, I, I've been talking, you know, a lot of people this last election, and I don't want to get all super political, but this last election didn't go the way that many Republicans were hoping that it was going to go, right? And so a lot of people were frustrated about that. But um, when you look at this election, they talked to a lot of people coming out of the election and they said the reason they voted the way they did, it was all about abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the exit polling. Everybody was voting based on abortion. And so the fact that the Democrats had such a good showing, even though they're pro-choice, um, I think was a wake-up call for a lot of people realizing that our country is probably further gone on this issue than, than we thought it was. And a lot of people were realizing like, oh my goodness, our country is really off the rails here. And, uh, and maybe it's going to continue to get worse in the future. And, uh, and I'm not like a total doomsdayer. Um, I think we probably are in the midst of this downward spiral as, as a country. I think God's judgment is upon our country. I think we're under the discipline of God. We're, we're suffering from the consequences of our own rebellion as a country. I think all of that's happening. Um, but I'm not going to sit back and just complain about that. What, what I'm saying is, is as we're, what is the church supposed to look like when that's happening? Mm. And I think one of the things that it's showing us is that we're going to need this Christian community more and more mm-hmm. because we are not going to find a sympathetic ear out in the world around us. Um, the culture is going to become, they're going to further distance themselves from any even sem- semblance of Christian values. And so the Christian church is going to be this little island. Uh, we, we will be a fish, like really, really, truly a people of exile in this country. And, and that means um, we're going to need this church community more and more. And then you extrapolate that out to a bigger picture, um, I think that's why we even more so need to fight for reformation here in the CRC. Um, Because I think we need that type of community in our denomination. We need that type of support from our fellow office bearers to be able to like walk side by side, hand in hand in the midst of this culture. Like we can't be fighting amongst ourselves about these issues. We need to have some unity and fellowship and brotherhood here in our denomination so that we can actually go out into the world and and bring the gospel. I think that's absolutely true. And I think we need to also remember what John's words were um, to the church in Revelation, you know, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life and you'll be priests and kings of God and you'll reign on the earth. Uh, so I, I think there's so much truth in what you're saying. And even if we're going to adopt, if we're going to call the post-millennial hope or whatever, <laughs> if we are, uh, then I think we need to realize that doesn't mean uh, that the kingdom of God, you know, takes off like the space shuttle. Um, yeah. It means that we we very well could be in for some years of darkness and valleys. Yeah. Um, you know, the kingdom of God, you know, doesn't take off like that. It's like mountain. I've heard this analogy. It's like mountain biking up a mountain that has valleys and mm-hmm. peaks. And, and I agree with you. This last election cycle was, 
was probably a testament to the judgment of God on our nation. And uh, it's, I'm not exactly seeing the post-millennial hope uh, from this last election cycle, but nonetheless, we do still rest on those promises of God that he is still working and he is still active and he is active in building his church. Um, And, and we need to believe that and, and continue to be faithful, even when our culture stands in opposition to the message of the cross. Um, and, we, and we shouldn't be surprised when they stand in opposition to the message of the cross. Paul told the Corinthians, uh, the message or the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But we also need to remember that, but for us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Um, so I think that's where we need to continue to stand. And, and like you said, continue to unite ourselves around each other in these deep and crucial matters at this time. Yeah. Amen. Well, and all, just everything we've been talking about, and of course it's on my mind because I just preached about it yesterday, but I preached through Psalm 38. And in Psalm 38, David's talking about how he's under, he himself is under the discipline of God for his mm-hmm. own sinfulness. Mm-hmm. He's uh He's burdened by the consequences of his own sin and he's being mocked by his enemies. Right. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is the church right now in in the United States. Like we're facing all three of those things. And so David's response in the midst of that was to turn to God, cast his anxieties and burdens upon the Lord. And then he said, and I will wait for you because you will answer and you are the God of my salvation. And so that's, you know, this is, the, the church is in this season of casting our anxieties and burdens on the Lord and then waiting on him in faith to, to do his work and to, and to bring about change and, and reformation in our culture. And I think in our denomination as well, I think it's important for us, you know, waiting can always be used wrongly, right? It, some people can just be lazy, right? And they can say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. And, uh, but there's other people who are like, well, I'm not going to be lazy. I'm going to go take the kingdom for myself. And then they're trying to work out of their own initiative. And we have to be able to figure out this balance of learning when to wait on the Lord and when to, and when to act as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, we see, we see that all over in the Psalms, do we not? Uh, we see areas of, you know, waiting in anticipation and just observing how God is working. And then there's also, uh, the human element where he's called us to be responsible and actually act and cooperate with how his spirit is at work and keeping in step with his spirit um, as he's furthering his church and his kingdom on this earth. So, yeah, yes. I think we need to live into that tension a little bit better. I agree. Amen. Well, it's the, it, that tension is the Christian life. Um, and, and we can always fall off of one side of the horse or the other, but um, just this last week, I came across a quote from Herman Bovink. He said, perseverance of the saints is both a gift of God and a duty for all believers. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm like, that's true. It's both. Um, it's a gift of God. It's going to happen, but it's a duty that we have to live into, right? It's that Philippians 2, uh, yeah. 12 through 13, I think, or 13 and 14. I think it's 12 and 13 where it says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. And so you got to work out your salvation. You have to persevere in the faith. Why? Because God's doing it mm-hmm. in you. And so it's this tension where we have to live in as we, uh, you know, uh, this podcast is about reformation in the CRC. This is the tension we have to live in in the midst of reformation is 
work toward reformation in the CRC for it is God who is working for reformation in the CRC mm-hmm. um, and learning when to, when to step in and, and, and act and when to hold back and wait for God to act and, and learning, um, you know, one, one of the terms that gets used quite a bit in, in church revitalization, which is really just reformation is this come this word, uh, tactical patience, mm-hmm. um, learning, um, when to be patient, when not to step in, when not to just domineer over your people, um, but tactically wait and allow things to happen slowly, even though you would rather have it happen now. There's, there's, there is a tactical patience we can have in our churches, but also in our denomination as well, um, kind of letting the spirit move and, and bring about that reformation. Kind of like a George Washington type strategy, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. That the genius of George Washington, I'm glad you brought that up. I I've studied a lot of George Washington, but his genius was like strike and move, right? He'd strike and retreat and retreat, 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 and then strategically step in and just pound, pound on an army and then retreat again. And that's uh that's that's super important for us to remember um in the midst of this. Mm-hmm. I think I think that also is really relevant to something I've been thinking about this last week is this uh, kind of clarifying announcement that just came out of Calvin University this past week. And so there's been a lot of talk. I mean, the fact, you know, it was what, a month ago, two months ago, that the Calvin board kind of put out their official announcement that they're allowing their faculty to uh, to offer exceptions and they can serve in, in the school if they disagree with our church's position on sexuality, as long as they don't teach against it. And that made like national headlines. Al Mohler was talking about it and popped up in a lot of different places. And so now, you know, a month later, Calvin um, issues another clarifying statement, which I actually think sounds more hopeful. And uh, and I, I think it's important for us to talk about it a little bit. One of the one of the statements, I'm going to pull it up here a second. So um, they said, while the board supports granting faculty, staff, and students protected space for disagreement, the board also reiterated Calvin's existing positions and policies. Faculty who had expressed confessional difficulties received a distillation of those positions and policies weeks ago. This week, we walked through those requirements with all employees at the board's direction. And then uh, it talks about this reminder to all of the faculty that even if they have uh, an accepted gravamen or an accepted exception, they're not allowed to teach against it, promote, or speak against any of the church's official positions. And so on the one hand, I think that's really encouraging because it's not saying like, well, you can just hold this exception, but you can go out there promoting it. It's saying, no, you can't speak, teach, promote, or anything against this. Otherwise, you're in violation of the covenant uh, the faculty covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also wanted to point out, and then I'll get your thoughts on this, Willie. The very last line of this statement from Calvin University is future faculty candidates specifically will be required to affirm the fact the covenant for faculty members and the denominational denomination's confessional standards or submit an expression of confessional difficulty for evaluation before hiring. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of making it clear that 
um, you know, you can, you can take that for what it's worth. Um, but it's, I think it's making a pretty clear statement that as we're hiring in the future, we will be making sure that we're hiring people who are holding to our confessional positions, or at least we're going to know where everybody's at before we even decide on hiring them. We're going to be asking some questions about where do you stand on this battle that we're in, in the middle of the Christian reformed church. That's right. And to me, the way I would interpret this, I would see this as a very strategic doing away of any more grandfathering in, uh, that's that's the way that I would say that. It's like, no, anybody else who comes in is going to be thoroughly vetted. And like you said, they, they need to be asked very clearly um, what their stances are uh, concerning these issues. And not just issues of sexuality, I would say, but I would say a deeper issue is what do you believe about the authority of Scripture? And something that I've discussed, not just the authority of Scripture, but the sufficiency of Scripture. Yeah. Um, what, what, what do you believe about these matters? And if they do not meet the criteria of our historic stances and confessions, then they may not occupy these positions. I think that's a very careful way of telling them, yes, we, we are leaving some space for some conversations, you know, for those of you who are having difficulties, but these are our standards. These are our guidelines. And this is what we want our people existing and coming in to be able to say proudly and strongly that they hold to. That's the way that I would see that. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of Willie and I's conversation about current issues in the Christian Reformed Church. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. <laughs>